delighted to be joined. Oh, I'm going to read from my sheet, not around the screen. Uh, we've got Imogen Swift, who's a research assistant at the UK Dementia Research Institute at UCL. Hello, Imogen. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Luke, Dr. Lucy Russell, who's a research fellow at the Dementia Research. So you all, do you all work really at the same place? Because we some did. of you said, <laughs> like, I'm in the Institute of Neurology, somebody else said I'm at the DRI, somebody else said I'm at the Institute the, the um, Dementia Research Centre, but you, so do you all work within the Dementia Research Institute, which is part of the Institute of Neuro No, it's not part of the It's complex. We all work together. At yeah. University College London. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And are you all funded as part of the UK Dementia Research Institute? No. no, some are, some aren't. But that's that's goes to show how interesting and varied the DRI is, in so much as the way yeah. it delivers its care crosses over its care, its work. Um, so we've got uh, Dr. Martina Bacchetta, who's a senior research fellow, also UCL. Uh, we've got uh, Mika Clark, uh, PhD student from UCL. Somebody earlier said, "Well done for having PhD students on." <laughs> like they probably don't know anything but we've got them anyway you you got PhD students are brilliant they're loads more interesting than everybody else <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you uh, Mika for joining as well and Atina so so Aitana Aitana so <laughs> yeah. sorry Atana, my name is not easy you've got Aitana hi Aitana I love your you've got planets on your top yeah <laughs> That's cool. Um, <laughs> thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. And so uh, the session coming up is all about frontal temporal dementia. And that's because UCL is kind of, are you going to argue that you're the best place, the best, most focused place in the country or even the world for FTD? Is that is that the case you would make? Well, we um, lead... A... You're all too modest. <laughs> we lead the international uh, frontal temporal dementia project. Um, so it's coordinated at UCL, um, but we work with many sites across the UK, uh, Europe and Canada. Um, and the difficulty with frontal temporal dementia is that it is quite rare. So by collaboration with all these different research institutes, um, it allows us to gain more data and um, you know, gain a better understanding of um, what is actually going on. Because um, currently we don't have any um, treatments for FTD. Uh, so the main bulk of our work is to um, move towards helping pharmaceutical companies uh, to, to develop treatments. Brilliant. Well, uh, so you jumped ahead of me there because you're the only group that seems to have actually coordinated with each other and you've planned ahead, haven't you? You've decided who's going to yeah. talk, <laughs> what, which is great because then I can put up my little, I'll be back in a minute <laughs> and eat something crunchy that I don't want to eat in front of everybody else. Um, so in the order we've got down here, I got your, was that you? Lucy, I'm going to come to you first to ask yeah. you to introduce FTD. Yeah. your research projects, clinical trials, and your support groups. Am I gonna, is that what you've just done? Uh, no, I can give a little bit <laughs> No, I can definitely do more. <laughs> okay, great. So Lucy, why don't you give us the, give us the, you do your bit of the first. Let's sure, see. so um, FTD is a rare form of dementia. Um, it um, affects individuals' behavior and their language instead of their memory, like you have in Alzheimer's disease. 
Um, and we don't really know much about it at the moment. So we've got two longitudinal cohort studies. So that means we um, see participants over a long period of time, over many years, to try and find out how the illness progresses and who it affects and why it may affect them. And um, these two studies we have are the first one's the Longitudinal Investigation of Frontotemporal Dementia, also known as LIFT. Now this project follows people who we don't know why they have frontotemporal dementia. Um, and the second one is the Genetic Frontotemporal Dementia Initiative, uh, also known as GEMFI. And this follows individuals who have a family history of FTD. So that means that either their parents or their grandparents have had frontotemporal dementia. And it means that their children are at risk of developing FTD at some time in their life. So 50% chance that they will develop it. Um, but this gives us a really valuable opportunity to follow these people before they develop symptoms. Um, so we can see at what age they may develop symptoms and um, it gives us a, a window into a period of time that we often miss in research where uh, the symptoms are very mild and it's not until later on where the symptoms are becoming very problematic in everyday life that they present at clinic. And this period is really important for clinical trials. Um, if we want to treat this form of dementia, um, it might be better that we start treating it at the earliest stage possible. Um, so the work of my colleagues here today are going to talk to you about um, how we're trying to do that. We've got various measures that we use in these projects to assess these things. Um, and we are making progress. We currently have one clinical trial up and running. Um, it's an international uh, trial, um, but we're also running it at UCL. Um, looking at a particular form of FTD, a familial form that's passed down. Um, and we've got a couple of other clinical trials that are in the pipeline to be rolled out within the next two years or so. Um, and this is the main focus of our work to find out how we can move towards these, these therapeutic treatments. And your study participants, so you're obviously, as we said, you're at UCL, uh, which is in mm -hmm. London, but your study participants don't all just come from your hospital in your area, do they? No, not at all. We have people from all across the country. Um, we have people coming from Germany, um, if they're based in the UK, but currently living it, uh, overseas. Um, we also have people from Ireland coming over. Um, so we like to see people from across the country, uh, if we can. And and you, when you talked before about the, the GEMPI study, so people who carry this particular gene are 50 there's a 50 50 chance that they'll go on to develop that particular yeah that's right so FTD is extremely complex because there's multiple uh, genetic uh, factors and different genes that can cause FTD so we're not just treating one illness there's multiple and multiple causes which makes it very difficult to develop treatments um, and I think Imogen um, and Atana are going to talk a little bit more about the genetics of FTD a little bit later Absolutely. Well, that, that leads us quite nicely into Martina's, because that, that's the, I think you're next on my list here, uh, to talk about the genetic initiative, and can you tell us about brain anatomy, MRI? Yes, I will. Um, so first of all, I'm funded by um, Alzheimer Society, who is one of the um, greatest charity who are doing lots of amazing work to help and support um, research to help uh, people living with uh, dementia. Um, so as Lucy said, we don't really know um, what is causing frontotemporal dementia, but what we know is that um, the only known risk is genetic. 
and about 30% um, of uh, people living with frontotemporal dementia do have a mutation. Um, what it means is that they are born with this problem in their genes and at some point in their life, they will develop cognitive or clinical symptoms. So someone might develop some changes in behavior, some others might um, develop problems or difficulties in language. And the problem is that um, we don't really know um, why or um, why some people might develop one form or one type of symptoms and why others um, may develop different things. But what we know is that the reason why it's so variable is because uh, different parts of the brain are affected. So um, we tend to consider the brain as just one single thing, but actually it's not. So the brain is formed by different areas and different structures, and each of these um, structures have a specific role. So um, for instance, if someone um, starts developing problems in their language, it means that probably there is some pathological processes going on in the area that has um, a link with language or if they start developing some symptoms linked to changes in behavior or problems in showing their emotion, then there is another part of the brain that is affected. So what is possible to investigate in people with um, a mutation is to look at years before the onset of these symptoms. And it's possible to measure what is going on in their brain. So we can try to understand and link what is going on in the brain and link with the type of um, symptoms that they will develop further on. So, I mean, is that right? So when you said before, the only known risk of FTD is, is this genetic one. So some of the other ones that they've been identifying for Alzheimer's, for example, some like the gene, you know, around sleep and, and things like that. So those don't, I mean, clearly nobody's not going to not act on those modifier risk factors because they might affect your Alzheimer's, but they're not known to also affect FTD. Um, no. So there are things that my um, uh, kind of suggest to be linked with development of dementia, frontotemporal dementia, but the only um, clear cause is genetic. And can you have FTD and another type of, you know, when people have talked before about mixed dementia, could you have FTD with, with something else as well? You have to be really unlucky, but yes, it's possible. I think one of the, um, the biggest connections between two diseases is frontotemporal dementia and motor neuron disease. Um, so in about 15% of people who have frontotemporal dementia, they will also have symptoms of motor neuron disease as well. Um, and uh, the combination is linked at the genetic level. So some people will have a certain genetic mutation which will cause both diseases, um, but it's also the pathology. So by pathology, we mean what's going on in the brain itself. So what, what proteins are showing problems in the brain. Um, and that's the, the biggest known link. And there are some other uh, motor diseases, we call them, so that affect mainly the body rather than just the, the mind or cognition or thinking alone. Um, but they are rarer than just FTD. Oh, well, motor neuron disease can, you know, can hit people very early in life. Is, is FTD then the same? That's a good question. In very rare cases, uh, there, there have been patients that show symptoms at much lower ages, um, but that's incredibly rare as well. So while frontotemporal dementia is the, most, the second most common early onset dementia, so by early onset we mean before the age of 65 normally, um, it's the second most common form 
um, and very rarely it might affect people as young as their 30s or 40s, uh, but most of the people we see are between the ages of around 50 to 65. And are, are NHS memory clinics and services good at spotting this? I mean, are they, or, or and, and referring, because is FTD still, would that still be, go through that kind of psychiatrist care pathway of, to a memory clinic, you see a consultant psychiatrist and psychologists and you get diagnosed in that way. Do they diagnose in the same or do you suddenly find yourself in neurology? Well, I think that's a really good question because we'll talk a bit about what uh, the symptoms look like in FTD, um, but a, a huge part of those symptoms are behavioural symptoms. And typically people don't associate problems with your behaviour as having a form of dementia and rather as having a form of psychiatric illness. Uh, so you will hear stories of lots of people with uh, frontotemporal dementia have gone through quite a tricky path to get to a diagnosis, um, often as they might go to psychiatric services for mental health problems before uh, they're identified as having a, a degenerative disease, which means essentially oh, a dementia. Parkinson's and things as well. Sorry, did mm. I jump and um, ruin the flow of questions? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. We're well, not rigid. Well, we've got a moment there, just a reminder to anybody, if you do have your questions, you can post them. Uh, you have to post them as comments in YouTube or you can use the Q&A button in the Zoom uh, live stream as well, or I will have a look on Twitter at hashtag chatathon. So let's, um, uh, did you add anything? Uh, are we coming to, did you add, have anything to add, Martina, or do I? Um, if you want, I can uh, talk about um, what is the aim and the plan for my fellowship. Oh yeah, do that. Let's listen. Okay, so um, I'm trying to measure what is happening in the brain of people with a mutation for um, FTD. And in order to do that, um, I'm aiming to use uh, magnetic resonance imaging, which is a not invasive um, methodology, um, which help us to have kind of pictures of the brain. So we can have three-dimensional pictures in black and white. And it's really, really useful because it um, gives us lots of information. For instance, we can measure which part of the brain are affected by um, loss of neurons. Um, if there is something that is widespread, if it's localized just, one, just in one area. And we can also measure if two regions of the brain are communicating well to each other or if there is a problem in the connection of this. Um, if also, if we look at um, several um, follow-up visits, we also can measure if there is a change in progression. So if there is a fast or slow um, rate of um, progression and atrophy in the brain. So what I'm, what I'm planning to do is to um, accurately measure where we can start uh, seeing changes in the brain, um, when this is happening and how fast this is, uh, this is going. Um, and I think this is really important because we don't know yet a clear picture of what is going on in the brain. If we, and if we don't um, have a specific um, and very accurate way to measure that, then we will have two problems. First of all, we cannot tell um, individuals with a mutation on what to expect in the future. So we need to understand and make a clear um, description of what is going on. And also um, the ability of designing clinical trials will be difficult and challenging. 
So the idea is to have a clear description of what is the pattern and the normal progression of what is going on in the brain of in these, in these individuals, because then we can have sort of a reference point to see whether a drug is working or not, whether a drug is a kind of um, slowing down the progression of what is considered to be and the normal evolution in the brain. And um, I have to say that um, I will be um, able to do that really thanks to Alzheimer Society who is um, supporting my research and really thanks to uh, the GenFi initiative because this is a fantastic um, initiative bringing together 27, 27 centers around the world. And it started in 2011. So we have um, several visits and um, we really need to thank all the participants and their family to um, contribute and, and um, give them their time um, to help us in, in trying to find and understand FTD better. And is there a particular, so anybody who's watching who has a family member or know somebody with FTD, is there a particular place you'd like to signpost them to to, to get more involved in research? Because that comes up quite a lot. I, I'm telling everybody to sign up to join dementia research at the moment, but I know the numbers of people with FTD on there are relatively small. What, where would you, are we sending them to your new, because you've got a new website, right? So, yeah. Am I jumping ahead again? Should I? I'm gonna. I'm do. I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna come to, uh, and we'll come back to those questions afterwards. So I'm gonna move on to uh, Misha. You're gonna talk next. Hi there. Uh, so my name's Misha. Sorry, I hate to Misha, sorry. pronunciation, but it's there's never a good time. Uh, I, um, you know what? I, I'm <laughs> getting well known for mispronouncing people's names. Okay. Misha. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a PhD student uh, as part of the same lab as all of these guys. And I work mainly on a different type of brain imaging to understand changes in the brain. Um, essentially, what we do is take the images that Martina looks, like, uh, looks at and we add colour. Um, so the type of imaging we look at is called PET imaging. That stands for positron emission tomography. Uh, but in short, what we do with PET imaging is we uh, give participants an injection prior to the scan. And then they enter a, a similar type of scanner to an MRI scanner. And this allows us to look at proteins inside the brain. So instead of just looking at brain structure, we look at brain function as well uh, and how proteins are different in people with a diagnosis of frontodental dementia in our case, compared to healthy people. Uh, so the kinds of proteins that we're looking at at the moment are proteins involved in inflammation. So much like when you have an injury anywhere else on the body and your body has an inflammatory response, so cells that try and help out that site of injury, we think that perhaps the same thing happens in the brain with dementia. So we want to understand that a bit better. Uh, and we also look at other types of PET imaging that allow us to look at the connections between brain cells as well. Um, and PET imaging is very valuable because it's the only way to look inside the brain at what's happening um, in kind of real time, if you like, and that will be hopefully very valuable for clinical trials going forward to see how disease is progressing or hopefully not progressing with treatments as they emerge. And that, I was just, I had a question then, which I'm just trying to recall. So if you image somebody who, well, first of all, how do you, how can you be certain somebody has FTD as opposed to something else? Well, that the, I guess the real crux of the issue we have at the moment is we can't, um, unfortunately, until post-mortem, which is essentially until the brain is analysed uh, at autopsy. Um, and that's the only way we do it at the moment. 
We're developing lots of different markers, which uh, Imogen and Itana will talk about in blood or um, other tissue that we want to look at during life to make a more certain diagnosis. But the only way we know at the moment is if someone has a genetic form and then we can tell exactly what type of disease they have. So you, you can do the genetic test and then combine that with the what they can tell you about their symptoms, which makes you be able to. So the PET yeah. imaging itself, can't you can't see from a PET that somebody has this, but you can see what's going on in the brain with people who... Yeah, I mean, as it gets more advanced, hopefully we will be able to, um, because we'll have what we call tracers, so these injections that allow us to look at very specific proteins that are only involved in certain types of disease. Um, so one of the proteins you might have heard about in earlier talks today is tau. Um, and the tau protein is the protein that's gone wrong in quite a few forms of dementia, including frontotemporal dementia. And I think as time goes on and we get a better tracer to look at that with PET imaging, hopefully we can be more sure of what we're looking at in the brain. Um, but at the moment it's mainly done by where in the brain the problem is. So if it's in those frontal and temporal regions, which is where the name frontotemporal dementia comes from, that gives us a clue as to, as to what disease we're looking at. And so because this is happening in a particular part of the brain, then are there some unique symptoms associated with FTD over other types of dementia? Yes, and that leads me on very nicely to the, to the cognitive section. So cognitive markers are essentially um, the symptoms we see, so the problems in thinking that we see in frontotemporal dementia. And as Lucy mentioned, frontotemporal dementia is, is very uh, mixed, if you like. We see lots of different symptoms. Uh, the main symptoms are either language symptoms or behaviour symptoms, but they're very diverse. So we, in our research studies, do lots of psychology tests which allow us to look at different aspects of thinking. So language tests might include naming tests. And if somebody's got a problem with naming, we say that's a problem with semantic knowledge. And that might give us a clue as to what type of FTD they have. Um, we do memory tests, so recognition tests, and then we do behavioral tests as well. Um, this looks at a person's ability to inhibit certain responses. So to hold back certain behaviors and responses. Uh, because one of the biggest symptoms that we see in FTD, which is a kind of hallmark symptom of FTD or behavioural variant FTD, is when they have trouble inhibiting certain behaviours that you might um, expect someone to inhibit in everyday life. So things that might be deemed not harmful, but inappropriate. Um, and so this is saying something out of place or, or is it, it's, it's um, not a motor thing. It's not doing something. It's not kind of, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a glitch in so much as suddenly mm. throwing out your arms or something, or is it that, or is it just. Interestingly, they can, <clears throat> they can show some kind of um, motor behaviors like tapping or, or repeating actions with certain things. Um, but typically we look at behaviors um, in things they say or things they don't say um, in certain situations. And a huge element of that is how they behave socially. So what we call social cognition. Actually, Lucy's done a lot of research in social cognition in, in FTD. So typically they, they find it very difficult to process others' emotions. So, you know, if you were feeling happy and smiling, they may have real difficulty interpreting what you 
mean by that behavior or um, as another example they'd be very uh, socially distant so they themselves show very few social emotions and so it can be very hard to interact with them because they're not giving off any um, social cues that we use in everyday life to make conversations happen or um, allow us to you know just be around one another even if it's um, without speaking those social um, physical cues that we give off they, they don't tend to have um, and then the other side of it is their ability to be able to think what other people are thinking so we we have a, um, a couple of tasks that look at this and you know if there's a social situation that they're meant to do something as a response um, or understand that somebody's done something wrong they may completely miss that and of course then their own behavior is inappropriately placed and I guess these, I mean, are these things subtle changes that might happen over time or do they happen quite quickly? Because from what you've said, if the changes, if the differences are that significant, you'd expect that diagnosing this would be easy. And it, it, it's not right. I mean, people no. don't get diagnosed easily. So these must be quite subtle or hard to spot, which means you need rather sensitive tests. Yeah, that's exactly right. And like Misha said earlier, they often present as um, other conditions, particularly depression or anxiety, where people become very withdrawn from the environment. But it does happen gradually over time. And currently, a lot of the tasks that we have aren't sensitive enough to detect these changes. Um, and so we are trying to develop tests that are more sensitive to these changes prior to an uh, official um, diagnosis. Um, to help us with the clinical trials and I think we've touched on that right at the very end we've got something yeah and, and disseminating those because it's great if these can all be done at UCL but of course not everybody's going to be at UCL uh, yeah and we are starting to get a nice little and um, quite a lot of questions coming in for you guys compared to everybody else so I am going to go uh, to you next uh, Imogen Hi, um, so I thought I was going to talk a little bit about a day in the life of kind of a dementia researcher because my job is well, I do quite a lot of little things. I actually work at four different buildings, which proves difficult to walk between them, <laughs> which makes sense with the whole DRI versus DRC, complicated things. But um, one of the key parts of my role is actually to do a sample, and that is kind of blood samples or spinal fluid samples, which I know you've mentioned previously a little bit, and also urine samples. So these are really useful for loads of different things. Tana's going to talk a little bit about how we use them for fluid biomarkers. Um, but another really useful thing, for example, is that for the genetic side, we use blood to actually work out someone's genetic code and whether they have these genes or these issues in the genes that cause FTD. So as we've said, genetics is obviously a huge part of the disease and it's something that we really want to work out more about so we actually know kind of the different types of disease because, as you know, it's super complicated. But also, each person has a very different of symptoms and a different genetic code and so ideally we can give a kind of personalized treatment at the end of it um, so that's a really important part so when someone comes in for a visit uh, these amazing participants come from all over the country and it's really great that they can come and, and visit us um, and they take a blood sample and a spinal fluid sample and they give us a urine sample we can then use those samples in the lab and we can sequence them through our amazing uh, lab at UCL as well. And we can work out individual things about that. So that's a really useful thing. 
another really part useful part of the samples is for spinal fluid. So I know there's been some discussions earlier in the, in the chat on about spinal fluid and how it can be quite invasive. The good thing is that it's quite a common clinical procedure and it's super useful for us because it is a window into the brain because it's literally the fluid that your brain sits in. So super handy. Also the blood is super useful to com combine them together. So if we can work out what goes on between the brain and the blood in this disease, it can support all the psychology stuff and the imaging stuff as well. And we can create a really great picture of what's going on. So we're really grateful to everyone who helps out with that. Um, I think people just want you to find a mechanism of getting that that doesn't involve a yeah. needle. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that because it can be quite daunting, I imagine. The, the good thing is that all the people that I've, I've met who have done it are amazing doctors and full trust that they will do it amazingly. Have you all had one? Anybody? I haven't yet. I'm quite tempted to, to be honest. I'm very intrigued about what, what goes on in my spinal fluid. But I have big, only because I donated to the Anthony Nolan Trust you know, for the yeah. and they collect as part of that to put you on their bank. So, yeah, yeah I know what it's <laughs> like. Although I am also in the I'm old enough to be in the prevent study, which um, Craig Richards prevent study, which is probably being talked about right now. I, I should have mentioned, I think their conference finishes shortly. There's a conference going on in Scotland today. Um, mm. uh, but I, I didn't having given to the Nolan Trust, I then didn't want to do it again. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I do understand. So, so your so all your patients come to you uh, would have come through a specialist referral pathway. So, I'm just trying to get my head round for those that are watching. Somebody who's living in Bedford right now goes through this diagnosis pathway. Maybe their psychiatrist thinks mm, you might have FTD, mm. but then they probably just get sent home, right? I mean, I'm being told you might have FDD. How does somebody end up in at UCL getting this amazing treatment and this chance to participate in things that you do? How, how does that happen? I think there are many different routes. I'm sure kind of Lucy can go into a bit more detail, but basically people come from all different kind of routes. So you can go straight to the clinic and you get referred to, for example, John Rora, who's our boss, and he can then tell you about the research, but there's loads of amazing scientists and researchers and clinicians out there. There's also amazing websites like our FTD Talk website. Um, so I think it's knowing where to look and having those good clinicians to tell you. But yeah, I think um, if an individual's gone into their local memory clinic, they've been diagnosed with FTD, um, there's one of two ways they can go about being referred to us or coming to see us. So that's First off, by the neurologist or the psychiatrist that they've seen, they can send a formal referral to uh, the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery and the Cognitive Clinic. And um, one of the neurologists there will be very happy to see them and refer us, uh, refer them into our research projects. The other way is, um, I think it's still active, but we have uh, the Dementia Research Centre has a, a research email account, uh, and they can personally uh, send us an email saying that they're interested in their. Uh, in participating in our work and they can come by that route as well. Um, I think it is that's the point isn't it that this is to participate in research because uh, we haven't talked about this but just like other forms of uh, dementia there isn't currently a treatment for FTD. No. Um, so this is all um, cohort studies as, as Lucy mentioned earlier which are a way of following people over time 
Um, normally people enter the study and, and stay for a couple of years in the study and we see them once a year. Um, and this really gives us a, a good way of knowing how things change over time. And of course, important, an important part of that as well is having um, healthy people in, in our research as well. So we have people who are the same age. And I'd say the reason we haven't had the lumbar punches ourselves is because um, we don't qualify yet. So yeah, we're, we're, don't, we're too young. Um, but we have lots of healthy people come in and, and have the exact same procedures as somebody uh, with FTD would. And this gives us a way of knowing really what's abnormal because you'd never know until you have something to compare to. Of course. And just touching on the healthy controls there, we actually recruit our controls from joint venture research uh, platform. So please do sign up if you're interested. Reason. So did somebody mention before that there is a tr you have got one trial running right now? Yeah, so we have uh, a clinical trial running at UCL um, and internationally it's running. Um, and that is looking at a type of frontotemporal dementia that's caused by the gene proglandulin. Um, and at the minute it's still in early stages we're just coming to the end of the phase two uh, all seems to be going well um, and hopefully we know a little bit more about whether the phase three trial is going ahead in the next six months yeah i know early drug trials are always so difficult so i'm not going to pin you down as fast <laughs> it really works otherwise you'll certainly get a wave of people we have got a lot of questions so um Aitana, i'm going to come to you next could you tell us your yeah. bit so i can then get to all my questions yeah, so, well, I'm the one that takes course of the last part, the last piece of the puzzle here is the fluid biomarker. So Imogen collects, you don't collect it, but you go chat to the person and keep them company while somebody collects it. Or do you do... Yeah, no, no. The, we don't no, I mean, Imogen, Imogen we collects. No. You deal with it. Yeah, so we receive the samples and Imogen processes them. And, uh, well, we... Uh, well, the focus of this project, our research, is to find fluid biomarkers for the diagnosis of FTD. And well, I think it was mentioned before, but the biomarker is basically something that we can measure in the body and can tell us what is happening in our case in the brain. So biomarker can be uh, imaging um, a biomarker as uh, Misha and Martina were saying before, but in our case is fluid biomarkers because it's something that we measure in um, human biofluids with cerebrospinal fluid or blood. And these are mainly, well, mainly proteins, but we can also measure lipids. And uh, um, we focus all on those that are changing in FTD. So the thing is that, uh, as all of them say before, FTD is a very complex uh, disease or pathology. And um, our focus is to try to find specific proteins or lipids that tell us that the person has this uh, condition. So uh, the process is a very, very, very long way uh, so first of all, we need to find on the literature about the, the mechanisms that underlie uh, in the brain, and then we select candidates that will be possible to measure and can tell us something that is happening in the brain. And then the next step will be to develop what we call assays to measure them in blood or CSF. And an assay is a test in which you can measure the quantity of this molecule in, in the sample. 
And, and then once we, we come up with an assay that is able to measure that, we need to validate it for a diagnosis of the disease. And that means is that we have to measure it in samples from uh, persons with FTD, but also uh, controls, but also other diseases or other dementias. So we can make sure that this protein is specific of FTD and can serve as a diagnosis for it. Wow. <laughs> So busy, and, and we should add that, I mean, you're just a handful of a much larger team as well, aren't you? I mean, I've seen the pictures with John's, you, there are so many of you there working in so many different ways, which is why I jokingly talked about at the start about this. I know there is working FTD going on elsewhere in the country, but that, you know, the UCL is definitely got lots going on. I'm going to go to the questions. Is that all right? We've yeah. got six minutes left, yeah. so there might have to be short-ish answers. Um, I'll let you decide who should take it. The first question is from David Whelan, who asks, is there a link between logo, uh, logopenic primary progressive aphasia and Alzheimer's? My wife of 63 was diagnosed with LPPA about three years ago, but the symptoms seem to be moving into other aspects of her, uh, her capabilities. Should I take that one? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the logopenic variant is a tricky one, and it is one of the language variants of frontotemporal dementia. Um, so there are three language variants that we classify, and the logopenic variant is one of them. But the tricky thing with the logopenic variant is that it's often caused by Alzheimer's disease pathology. So pathology, uh, we touched on earlier, is essentially what's happening in the brain itself, and the proteins that are involved in Alzheimer's are different to the proteins that are involved in frontotemporal dementia for the most part. And again, we don't know until um, we can look at the brain itself, what proteins causing the disease. So although it can look very much like frontotemporal dementia, it can look like both. And it's, it's an unanswered question at the moment. The other thi the thing that they can do is look um, at cerebrospinal fluid biomarkers, like Aitana's talked about for Alzheimer's, and you would know whether it's an Alzheimer's or FTD variant. The one last thing I'll mention is that with all forms of dementia, as uh, the dementia progresses, it does tend to affect other areas of thinking or other areas of cognition. Um, so it could just reflect um, different areas of the brain being, being involved, whereas in the early days, only there's one main, main symptom presenting. Great, thank you. Uh, next question, uh, Lucy Sharples asks, uh, what kind of post-mortem markers are visible in FTD brains? I can answer that. So um, it's, um, as, we were, as we were speaking about the presence of some proteins in the brain, so um, FTD can be caused by the presence of tau or another type of protein that is TDP43. And actually it's not just one type of TDP43, but you may have up to five different types of F um, TDP43. So it's the actual presence of abnormal protein when you check um, the brain. And you can't get those proteins until you've got a brain post-mortem. We, there is lots of research going on in trying to develop ligands um, to be able to see them on PET. Yeah, as well of fluid biomarkers, but for now, so for example, in the case of tau, now it's used 
for Alzheimer's disease, but it cannot discriminate frontotemporal dementia. Yeah, I understand. That, so, well, that, that answers that question. Let's moving on to the next one. Uh, Rowan de Silva asks, can one reliably select clinical Pick's disease patients for trials for experimental therapy targeting three repeat tau? So that's, that's some nitty gritty detail on the types of tau protein that we see. Um, and within frontotemporal dementia alone, there are lots of different types of, of tau involved. Um, and Pick's disease is, is one group of uh, tau pathology cases, so people with tau protein um, pathology in the brain. Um, at the moment, again, we, we don't have markers that specifically tell us which type of tau is involved. However, as Martina mentioned, we're looking at different ways to look at different types of tau using PET imaging, and hopefully as we go forward um, with fluid biomarkers as and well. And I guess once you've got a therapy, you're gonna have to find mechanisms by which to do decide who to give that therapy to and if you haven't, you'll, you'll end up giving it to everybody and then seeing who it works in and who it doesn't yeah yeah um all right that, thank you uh, for that question rowan um so i'm gonna go to a question on uh youtube which was lottie swift says uh great to see such an important topic being worked on by such smart people what led you all to become interested in ftd um go on you're gonna have to take that one quite quickly because we still have more questions um, I think I, I'll pick on. Does anybody have a particular passion that they want to say but that they want to pick? No, on? She really knows my answer because I'm pretty sure that's my sister. But if someone else wants to give a go, <laughs> I think there are lots of unanswered. Oh, questions. It is yours. Yeah, you've got the same surname, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the the number of unanswered questions about FTD and and just how diverse it is as a disease, um, it makes it kind of keeps you wanting to know more. Yeah. I understand. That's Thank why you. research is so important. <laughs> and, and honestly, you are all inspirational. I think any young people out there that are doing undergrad right now or just finishing at university, uh, we definitely hope that they'd be inspired to consider uh, dementia as their uh, follow-up subject. You don't go working in cancer and other disease. Come work in dementia. That's where <laughs> we really need you. Um, uh, Alice uh, Sharp. Sharajda asks, are people with FTD more likely to experience depression in suicidal ideation? Uh, if so, what care or support is needed, particularly at that diagnosis? Are they more likely to experience uh, depression? Yeah, I think um, with those that are particularly at risk and they know that they're at risk of developing frontotemporal dementia, it can be very challenging. Um, and one of our um, colleagues, uh, Caroline Greaves, is doing some work around um, support for those individuals and looking at um, depression and anxiety uh, within that group. And sometimes with the behavioural variant frontotemporal dementia, it can often look like depression. Um, we don't believe that it's necessary depression. It could just be the social withdrawal, but there is that overlap there where it could, it may be. Um, and also in those with semantic variant um, frontotemporal dementia, they often find things very difficult and can become quite um, anxious. And, um, I understand. And your FTD, this is a good chance to plug your FTD talk website. Do you want to just quickly uh, do that? Yes, we've got a new uh, website just launched um, with loads of fact sheets and um, support for um, everyone really from researchers to um, individuals with FTD and their families and their carers. 
Um, so have a look on there if you're interested in learning more about temporal dementia and what we're doing as a lab with our research. Um, we've also got the Rare Dementia Support Group, which is run at UCL, um, and that covers a variety of different dementias from PTA to FTD. Um, and Adele Lute uh, uh, makes a good point on the uh, chat as well, which is reminding us that AFTD Awareness Week is yes. this mm -hmm. month, um, okay. with, with rare dementia support taking part. Um, we hope that you're promoting. Oh, she's suggesting that she hopes you're promoting this and talking about this on your website as well. Mm -hmm. uh, will you uh, will you have materials that you can share to uh, link to your Just Giving page? Yeah, I, if anybody wants me to link to that, I can just from our page as well. And I'm just working hard to try and raise awareness of rare dementias and uh, BFT. And just one other thing to link to on that note, um, we're um, one of our other PhD students has currently got an app out at the moment called Ignite. And that's I-G-N-I-T-E. Uh, you can download it from the, I, um, the Apple uh, App Store. iPad. You've got to have an yeah. iPad, haven't you? I did it. Yeah. Um, so we might, if that's okay, Adam, send you the link. Um, we're looking for healthy volunteers between 20 and 80 to take part. Please. I've got to try and get to 1,000. So that, that's, <laughs> that's right. Somebody's asking if you're using uh, artificial intelligence to uh, to look at accessibility of uh, of analysis and to to I guess look at things like NHS records and stuff like that as well. Uh, mm. Anybody doing AI work in your lab? No, not really. Not yet. Maybe if somebody would like to suggest it and put a proposal together, they'd be very interested. In yeah, very well done. AI. And the last question was from Pauline Ross, who says I, she accompanied her husband to hospital three times during his journey through FTD. Uh, semantic. Uh, she found the hospital didn't know or understand FTD, um, and uh, even though he was finding it hard to express himself, and recently signed a petition for NHS dedicated dementia wards. Do you think this is a good idea? I, I'm sure you'd all advocate for trying to uh, improve NHS clinician and NHS services awareness of FTD and the symptoms to try and get that more reliably diagnosed, right? Yeah. Is there a policy element, somebody in the, in the UCL working on, you know, specifically an FTD in the qualitative sense, like we've looked at with some of the others? I know you're all labs people, but is that something else that another part of UCL is looking at? Um, I'm sure that there must be somebody looking at it. And um, the, the Rare Dementia Support team um, look at lots of important things like access to clinical care or, or care home support for those with dementia and specifically frontotemporal dementia as it presents quite differently to some of the other types of dementias. Um, but there's, there's still work to be done for sure. Um, and we just hope that with more awareness in, in the public as well as within uh, clinicians of any background, um, we can get to a diagnosis and, and one day to treatment quicker. Thank you, Mitra. Me, me, did I say that wrong? Right, yeah. <laughs> Misha, Misha. Misha. <laughs> I put a H, look, I wrote a H. It means a H in it. Um, <laughs> thank you, Misha. Uh, thank you, Martina, uh, Imogen, uh, Aitana, and Lucy. Thank you ever so much for joining us and talking about FTD. If anybody wants to know more, I would highly recommend you go to the FTD Talk website where there's all the information about their research and um, please do reach out. You'll find information on all the panelists and their Twitter feeds uh, on the uh, chatform.uk page that's got information on our researchers. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank, Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.